0: Hey everybody, welcome to Studio HFL. I'm your host Larry Powell and I'm glad you've chosen to spend your time tuning in to today's show. Today's guest is Terry Werberton and this is show number HFL 87. Sarah's interview took place back on July 21st, 2020, and you can find show notes for this interview at studiohfl.com slash blog. Of course, you can listen to these interviews on any podcast platform, but now you have the option to also watch them on the Studio HFL YouTube channel. If you can help me get to 100 subscribers on YouTube, then I can get a custom URL. I'd also encourage you to visit Apple Podcast and leave a star rating and a review. Those will help to elevate the visibility of the show. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at StudioHFL. If you really want to keep up on releases and get a heads up on other news, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the newsletter at StudioHFL.com. A huge shout out now to my Patreon patrons for their generous contributions to this program. Your support shows me that there is true value to the work that I'm doing here, and it's an encouragement financially and an inspiration to continually strive to deliver a high quality product. If you would like to become part of the Studio HFL community, please visit www.patreon.com studiohfl There are four tiers of support from which you can choose, each with benefits for becoming a subscriber. And now, a word about my sponsors. Brass players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other musicians. If you have an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers has your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to a wide variety of color schemes. And don't forget about options for mouthpiece pouches, or pretty much anything you'd like to keep protected in a custom case. Check them out at MessinaCovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, then you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company. And SC Shires offers a complete line of brass instruments from the beginner all the way up to the professional. And you know they're invested in creating a quality product when Doc Severinsen himself helped design Eastman's beginner trumpet model. You can find out more at eastmondwinds.com and seshires.com. Pickett Blackburn has established themselves as a top tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance to try any mouthpieces available through Pickett or the incredible line of Blackburn trumpets, you can check them out at pickettblackburn.com. And now on to my interview with Terry Warburton. Good afternoon, Terry. What? So can you hear me all right?
1: Yeah, but I'm gonna turn off my air conditioner so you don't get to listen to that at the same time.
0: Well I can't actually pick that up, so that's good.
1: Oh, well I'm glad to hear that. I did some recording somewhere, I forget where I was in the background noise where I thought, oh no, that's not that bad. I listened to it back and I was like Barrr. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well the stomach grumbles. <laughs> Even made it into a few of the interviews.
1: Uh that's disgusting, but that's all right. <laughs> I've got a fresh beer on hand, but I'll open a second one so no one has to listen to that <laughs> opening. <laughs>
0: well, they may appreciate that. Uh, so, Terry Warburton, it's a pleasure to speak to you today, and I'm I'm thrilled that you're here for my podcast. Welcome.
1: Well, you're very welcome, and I'm nice to be able to take a few minutes out of my normally hectic day, and uh, I'm happy to do this. There's hectic days, and there's strange days. <laughs> we're living in the we're living in the strange days.
0: Yes, we are well how are you sir
1: well i'm uh 70 years old i'm happy i'm healthy i'm still working 12 hour days and i'm uh cancer free coronavirus free offhand i'd say i'm pretty goddamn good
0: well there's a lot to unpack <laughs> in well, what unpack- you just said right there <laughs> i i know we've met but I, I don't know if you recall and not that i would expect you to i'm just curious
1: What's your name? I'm sorry, I'm I've been up to my ass and shit now that I'm working all by myself, for God's sakes, what a pain in the ass. Um, I hate to say it, but I have a, an email list of or our customer list that we mail out to that's fifteen thousand people and I'm always shocked to realize, Oh, I know him, I know him, I know him. <laughs> it's like how many of these people do I actually know? It's like thousands of people. I mean, right. I've been doing this for like forty six years, so
0: right.
1: it's wow. a bunch. It's a bunch, yeah.
0: Wow. Well, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around 15,000.
1: Uh, I know. It's, that's our, when we send out a mailer, that's how many people are on it. Uh,
0: what are you doing these days to, to navigate through all of this?
1: Well, fortunately, I've, I'm in a position, you know, economically and business-wise, that we're not really hurting enough to cause a problem. I mean, business has slowed down. There's no question about that, and which is strange for me because I always thought, you know, we ship to sixty countries around the world. If any one country gets bad, even here in the states, we still got plenty of business around the world. Well, guess what? Every country on earth, every musician on earth is out of a gig. So, what does that do to my business? Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's it's. It's going to be a very, very difficult time, not only for the musicians, but for the whole industry as a whole, unfortunately. And I'm afraid that, you know, not everybody's going to get through to the other side, because unfortunately, as everybody's aware, we don't know when the other side is. Is it two months, six months, a year, two years? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's all well and good when people say, oh, just stay home. Really? Just stay home for two years? Who's going to pay my bills?
0: Right. Yeah, and you know, the trickle down. Most you know, people don't think about all those peripheral businesses, the the publishers, the uh mouthpiece makers, the trumpet makers, the, the case makers, um the valve oil manufacturer. It's
1: everybody. I mean like you say, it's the whole system top to bottom, yeah. anybody involved, you know, and then it even comes down to the people we buy the brass from to make mouthpieces. Yeah. You know, all my suppliers. So not only the mouthpiece maker, but everybody that sells stuff to the mouthpiece maker. We get our carbide tools made by a small company up in uh, Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So it's like if I'm not here breaking tools and uh, they're not selling me any new tools. Yeah. So, I mean, it is it's trickled down and unfortunately it may turn into a flood. That's what bothers me.
0: Well, this can all be over none too soon. you know the, yeah. you know even as a freelancer, I look at my calendar and uh, just yesterday, I had to wipe off uh what few orchestra concerts were left in twenty twenty and it, now I'm looking at at twenty twenty one as still a tentative you know i come December am I going to get another email that says by the way, you know, oh yeah, so yeah.
1: And, and everybody's in that same boat, too, where it's like they just don't know, yeah, I think that's the worst part of this whole thing. I mean, if everybody could say, "You know what, by December first, it's all done, yeah, well, then we could all just say, "All right, well i'll I'll try to figure out how to get from here to December first, but nobody can say that,
2: yeah,
1: nobody knows yeah that's that's one of the scariest aspects of this troubling time that we happen to find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. As people did in 1918. I'm sure it was the same troubled time 100 years ago. You know?
0: Except news didn't travel quite as fast back then, right? And that's, uh, I don't know if that's a blessing oh. or a curse.
1: No, and they didn't have Facebook to have every expert in the world who knows nothing. Saying
0: <laughs> oh, I saw just yesterday, Terry, somebody had created their own uh, diploma. I just graduated from Facebook University. You know, they're an expert now in everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm afraid most of the people think they've already graduated. They just forgot to get the paper.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Well, so you're trying to make the most of uh, each day. You're still putting things together. You're still uh, churning, yeah. churning out some things.
1: As a matter of fact, two minutes ago, I just finished texting somebody who just came in and bought a trumpet um, a week no, but just sometime last week, like maybe uh, Mm -hmm. Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Mm -hmm. and he's already, of course, you know, I don't want to bother you, but um, how's it coming? (laughs) He's like, well, lucky for you, I spent my weekend building trumpets, so we had two that were on order, and plus his, so, you know, there's still business to be done, there's just not enough business. Right. You know, I mean, all my employees are on furlough right now, unfortunately. (laughs) There's enough to keep me busy and enough to keep the business in business. And I'm I'm quite confident that I don't care if it takes another year, I'll still be in business. But, you know, I'm not sure about a few other companies. And I think the bigger they are, the harder they're going to fall. You know, you're asking about me and my company. We're actually buying some machinery to manufacture other things. For example, we're getting a plasma cutting table so we can make metal art. Artwork that you'll see all over mm-hmm. the place. <clears throat> we're getting that. We've got a, a miniature five-axis milling machine that's going to be used to manufacture clarinet mouthpieces. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you know, we're not going to just sit around and, and wonder what to do.
0: Well, you know, even in the best of times, uh, that I think is a mark of a great company is the the interest in expanding and innovating. And then actually doing it—it's—it's the—it's the reason uh, some companies go under, right? Because they don't change, they don't adapt. And well,
1: one of my as you should say that one of my other interests, by the way, I'm actually getting into manufacturing fiberglass boats. <laughs> I know, right?
0: <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh out loud, but that's such a left oh, no. turn from trumpets, right?
1: <laughs> well, you know what? It is. I mean, at one point, I was going to manufacture aluminum airplanes, and I actually started one, at which point my wife was like, you know, do you really want to fly in something you make, and I'm like, yeah, might not be a great idea. But I decided that I could go boating in something I made, so it turned out I ended up <clears throat> with a half a dozen boat molds, that's another story. And uh, so by next spring, we will actually. Are you ready for this one? We're gonna, all going to go warboating.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: <laughs> know, <that>
0: <laughs> well, you know what? That, but that may stick. You, you may end up actually having that as the as the the name. Wow. That'll be,
1: that'll be the tag. But yeah, I mean, you know, we're reaching out. I mean, I look at it as what's going to take to keep the company alive. Well. We've already bought and sold a few boats. We're already taking in boats to be uh, reconditioned. You know, I've got a guy that works for me that on the on the fiberglass work Mm -hmm. and it's coming along. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to get a little more serious into that because, believe it or not, the boating industry is doing fine. Why? Everybody's got time to go boating. Yeah. What better social distancing than being out in the middle of the uh, river here, you
0: know? Well, that's why RV sales are up right now, too. Yeah.
1: Well, sure. Yeah, well, that and people want to get the hell out of the cities, which you can't blame them for that. Right. Yeah, this is one of those times where I am severely glad I never stayed in New York City after
0: 1979. Mm. So what, that, what was the significance of 79?
1: I worked in New York City for Bob Jardinelli.
0: Well, I didn't know if 1979, is it just that's when you decided to...
1: Well, that's when I worked there, and that's when I realized that's not where I wanted to grow old.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: <laughs> I apologize to Bob. I said, Bob, you know what? Ending up owning your business is great. However, living here for the rest of my life, not so much.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, was that the uh, was that the beginning of Warburton Musical Products, or or what was it called back then?
1: Um, actually, no. The, the real—it's funny because you know there's rumors out there. Of course, everybody thinks they know everything. That I learned mouthpiece making from when I, when I worked at Giardinelli's. Well, the real story is that I started the company back in 1974 in Toronto, and I was what 24 years old then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was already working in a music store and actually um, owned a music store. No, actually, at that point, no, I hadn't opened my own store yet. I was just interested in the mouthpieces, so we were selling Jardellies, and I knew Bob Jardellie, so I asked him if I could come to New York City, and would he show me how they make mouthpieces? And he said, sure, sure, yeah, come on down. So my dad and I drove down to New York City, which, you know, even then I was like, God, I hate this place already. <laughs> and uh, and went to Giardinelli's, which, of course, was paradise on earth for me, mm-hmm. you know, in a retail music store from the time I was 18 years old. This was like the Mecca, especially back then. Mm-hmm. And so I went in and, and I talked to Bob and he, and I said, you know, Mr. Giardinelli, I said, I, you don't mind, you know, showing me everything to do about mouthpieces because I'm actually I want to go into the mouthpiece making business. And Bob looked at me and he goes, Terry, he goes, I'll show you absolutely everything. Because your chances of being successful are zero to none. Wow. And that was 1974. And in 79, we were still good friends. And I went down to New York City and we were out sailing on his boat. Bob Giardinelli was a big sailboater. I don't know if you know that or not. No. He was actually the commodore of the Bayside Yacht Club for a while. <laughs> so, we're, so we're out sailing in his boat. And uh, he says, you know, I could use a guy like you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I want you to come work for me. And I said, well, you probably couldn't afford me. And he just laughed and goes, (laughs) goes, well, I doubt that. I said, well, you," I said, I didn't tell you what the price was. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I'd have to end up owning Giardinelli Music. And Bob looked at me and goes, well, what if that's what I had in mind? And I said, well, then I'll be here a week Monday. (laughs) And a a week Monday, I flew in and was standing on his doorstep. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I thought you'd be here. (laughs) And so later that day, I reminded him of of him telling me that my chances of success were zero to none. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I remember saying that. He goes, I guess I should have said zero to one. (laughs) And there you were. And there I was. So I was there to not only run his mouthpiece shop, but to end up taking over the business. So it it was a real great time. I had a wonderful time, met lots of people, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of great players back then that came into a shop like on a daily basis I mean it was a who's who of the brass world every single day
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know a matter of fact there's a great picture on online somewhere and uh, of him me and uh, Maurice Andre
0: oh my goodness
1: and, and that was yeah that, I remember that day so specifically because Maurice Andre spoke no English and Giardinelli could speak Italian but not French <laughs> And of course, I grew up in Toronto, where you had to learn French in school mm-hmm. as a second language. So of course, I started to say something in French, and Bob looks at me and goes, "You speak French?" I went, eh, I can get by." And he goes, "All right, you're in charge. Stick with us." Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to do. That was fun. I mean, that was a great day. It's a great picture. I mean, I still love that picture. It's one of my favorites.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and what a great way to interact with Maurice Andre.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a great guy. He was so shocked, too. I mean, it's just like being able to speak a few words of Russian to somebody that just go, What? Jeff, you actually know Russian? <laughs> I've tried to learn a few words in a lot of languages. As a matter of fact, I, I believe I can order two beers in about 18 languages. So.
0: <laughs> and that's all you need, right? Well, <laughs>
1: well, 20 languages would have been better, but, you know. So
0: 1979 comes along. You decide you want to leave New York City. Uh, yeah, i Where'd you go?
1: I went back to Toronto where I had my mouthpiece business. Plus I had uh, two retail stores actually. But if you remember right, 79 was the height of the Jimmy Carter 20% interest. Economically, it was a horrible time. Mm -hmm. And I was leveraged fairly highly, you know, with band instruments and rental instruments and owed a lot of money. And the economy was not that great. So I ended up having to lose my ass and go bankrupt at age 29. Thank wow. you very much. <clears throat> and at that point, I decided that I had nothing tying me down. And my wife at the time was from the States. So she had. we got married so she could work in Canada. And as it turned out, that's how I got a green card to go work at Giardinelli's the previous year, actually. Mm-hmm. But at that that point, I already had a green card, and I said, well, I can live anywhere I want, so where would I like to live? Well, guess what? Florida's got my name written all over it. (laughs) Sunny, hot, and beautiful weather. I can ride my motorcycle, go out on a boat. 365 days a year, I'm in. So I moved to Florida in 1980.
0: You've been in the same place, the same part of Florida the whole time?
1: No, no, not at all. When I first moved down here, I moved to Fort Lauderdale and I stayed with a guy in the back of his music store and worked there for a while and ended up where I don't know it was a long story. <laughs> the story would get really long-winded. Anyways, <laughs> uh he he decided that uh, running drugs from the Bahamas was a better idea and he disappeared one day and uh I ended up owning a retail music store again. (laughs) Not that I wanted to, but it was just thrust upon me when customers came. and said, is my clarinet ready? And I went, "Uh, no, but it will be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had learned how to do all repair work on everything. So it was like, Mm
2: -hmm. yeah, sure, all right,
1: yeah. all the tools are here. It's like, sure, where's your clarinet? I'll fix it. Mm -hmm. Next next thing, you know, it's uh, Terry's Brass and Woodwind Shop on uh, West Davie Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale. And I did that for a while. And then that gentleman came to his senses. And I actually, for his wedding gift, I gave him back his business. And I just went out and just went into the mouthpieces alone mm-hmm. in a separate uh, separate building. And that worked, you know, for a while. And then it came about that, uh, let me see. Oh, then I moved to Hollywood, Florida for a while
2: mm-hmm.
1: and had a nice shop down there. And business was like pooping along, and I got an offer. I talked to a good friend of mine who's still a great friend of mine, Mike Padula. He's a machinist, and he's a trumpet player. Great combination, by the way. Yeah. So Mike and I were talking, and I met him at a shop here in, in Central Florida, and this is in the early days of uh, CNC computerized equipment. And, of course, he had a computerized lathe, and I'm, of course, you know, drooling all over it. I probably rusted part of the thing. I drooled so much. <laughs> You know, watching this thing work. Wow, this is great. And he was looking to expand his business. And he's Mm -hmm. like, well, why don't you sell me half your mouthpiece company and move up here and you can have use of all this equipment? I'm like, say no more. (laughs) I hacked up and moved my uh, manual equipment up to his shop and got to. He taught me all about how to use uh, computerized machinery. And that was back in 86. So as far as I know, I was the first mouthpiece maker to actually use computerized equipment. And, uh,
0: in the world or saying. in the States?
1: Certainly in the States. It's, it's possible not in the world, but in America. As a matter of fact, when Con Selmer <clears throat> decided that they would go to computerized mouthpiece making for the Bach mouthpieces, they actually phoned me to ask me what what machine they should buy if uh-huh. money was no object. And I'm like, if money was no object, <laughs> let me think, because I never had that option. Right. So they currently have a few of those, bless their heart. But uh, yeah, I got into it then with Mike, and then he got really, really busy with his machine shop business. And we were two type A personalities and butted heads on a few things. So we decided to split up. And lucky for me, he needed a milling machine more than he needed his CNC lathe. So he <laughs> stole me the CNC lathe, co-signed for me for a loan for the thing. So he could get the money to buy a milling machine because he was making parts for Disney rides and was making so much money. It was ridiculous. Wow. And then I'm out the door, got my own shop again with a computerized lathe. And after about a week, he, Walked over because we're only a few doors apart, and he had just literally just here's the lathe. See you later. Came over a few days later, <laughs> and, was, and of course I was making you know making trumpet tops actually at the top. so he walked in. He just looked at the machine. He looked at the parts, and he goes, Ah, yeah, I thought you'd figure it out.
0: So, <laughs> so, so yeah, so where where did that mouthpiece making experience come from? You you had to have learned something somewhere along the uh, line there.
1: Uh, yeah. The School of Hard Knocks comes to mind.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: That's... The school—it's uh, a true story. Actually, when I when I first got going, my dad helped me out, and I said, "Well, after coming back from Jared said, okay, 'Okay, we've got to buy a lathe, right?'" Well, we decided the turret lathe would be a, a functional item to have, right? So we ended up with this old Herbert 2D, as it was an uh, English uh, lathe, and they delivered the thing, and I stared at it for a full day. <laughs> Before I figure out which knob and which lever made it do what, I literally stood back and like moved something to see what it would do. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, um, it was a learning curve to say the least, but I really lucked out. I met a gentleman, I was going to have some parts made for the machine to make pieces, so I met a guy who had a machine shop. His name was Eric Davies mm-hmm. up in Toronto in, in the east end of Toronto where I lived. And I asked him, you know, can you make me this, make me this? And he goes, you know, those are really like stupid, simple parts you should. Use. And I told him what I was doing and he was very interested, you know, a young man, 24 years old, deciding to to break into manufacturing something. So he said. If you have to pay me to make this stuff, he goes, you'll be out of business before you're in business. He goes, you need to learn how to make this stuff yourself. I said, well, that's kind of easier said than done. I mean, at that point, I'm a salesman at Long McQuade Music Store. I'm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not a, I'm not a machinist. He said, well, you're off on Wednesdays. Come on out. So every Wednesday, I would go out to his shop. And he taught me how to run a lathe, how to run a milling machine, how to run a surface grinder. How to do everything and I made all my own tooling and after about six months he came to me and he goes you know if the mouthpiece thing doesn't work out he goes could you come here and work for me he goes You're, he says making stuff my guys would have trouble making and I'm like oh really I didn't have any trouble with it and he goes yeah I know that's what gets me he said you've never worked with this stuff and I'm like no but I have a favorite expression when somebody says, "Wow, how did you learn to do all of this stuff?" My stock answer is, "Well, I'm just really fill in the blank smart."
0: Yeah, well, that's obvious. I mean, I wouldn't agree with that. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. Pardon me. I heard that. Well, it's a good thing I can edit on this side of things, right?
1: <laughs> Probably a good thing.
0: So you know, it, learning to run a machine is one thing but learning to run it in a way that that you design and deliver a high quality end product is another
1: that's right matter of fact my friend eric davies i just mentioned his famous words that i have never ever forgotten and i've told other people when i first met him he looked at a. I tr- i showed him a trumpet mouthpiece told him this is what i'm trying to make and he goes well terry he said i'll tell you what any good machinist could make this thing he said making a business out of making this thing he goes that's goddamn tough
2: mhm mhm
1: he used a little more vernacular than that sure. but for the for the podcast i'll i'll clean it up
2: well,
1: that and gets I've the never point
2: across <laughs> forgot,
1: you know i never forgot that because you know it's, i approach everything like that it's like any idiot could make a fiberglass boat how do you make a business out of making a fiberglass mm-hmm, boat mm-hmm. And that's the big difference that I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of young entrepreneurs fall into. It's like, yeah, you can do that. You can make that. But can you make a business out of doing that? Mm -hmm. Can you actually get a product that people want that are willing to pay for it? And it's, you know, and, and to build a reputation that's, you know, a quality reputation, you know, you're not a schlep, you don't, you don't make shitty products. You don't overcharge. You're a nice guy, you know, and this is a cumulative, you know, one of those famous overnight after 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, it, and it's just one of those where, you know, I, I learned a lot. I mean, I'm sure my earliest pieces, which I actually have a couple, believe it or not, I still have a couple of pieces, stamped Warburton, Toronto, mm. that, that I made on my ancient machines with mm. no computer help. Mm. But I was just very conscientious about trying to make a quality product, you know, and, mm-hmm. and as a trumpet player, I knew what it was I was trying to make. And then mm-hmm. for, a, for a while, I actually played uh, bass trombone because I busted the uh, lower muscle in my bottom lip. Oh. Yeah, that's another story. It's actually mm-hmm. called Satchmo Sach, syndrome, believe it or not.
0: No, I hadn't heard that, that phrase before. Yeah.
1: yeah, where you use so much pressure, you literally separate that muscle that runs across your mm-hmm. bottom lip. Mm-hmm. So then I played bass trombone for years, so I knew what that was all about. Mm-hmm. You know, so when it came to designing that those pieces, it was like, well, I know what I'm looking for because I know what I don't like. Right. <clears throat> you know, but yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing to think about. You know, like making something and making a business out of making something.
0: Well, the business side of things, where did you where did you pick that up? I mean, obviously working with Bob Giardinelli Gi- and then. You know, partnering with people down in Florida, you're you're learning stuff like this along the way, and again, you're a smart guy. You're, but the the business aspect, the selling, the marketing part of it, is still something that has uh, a learning curve to it.
1: Well, every aspect of business does, and you know, and and part of being, um, let me see, how would I describe myself? Scattered would be one of them. Um, <laughs> Or, or as a friend of mine, Ben Smalley, once said, he goes, Terry says, I think you're bipolar, but you only got one side of it. You're just <laughs> manic. Oh, I know what it was, You're manic depressive, but you forgot the depressive. Oh I'm my like,
2: gosh. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 pretty much. So, I mean, I'd like to learn. I read a lot. I study a lot. I think a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's like business. It's not that complicated. You are trying to make someone else's life better Mm -hmm. by providing what it is they need to do that. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a better boat, a better mouthpiece, a better car, a better motorcycle. I mean, you know, whatever it is you're trying to do, Mm -hmm. you have to put yourself in their shoes and say, well, what is it that I would want? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the marketing thing, you've got to trust your, your instinct to say, yeah, I mean, I was onto a computer right from the get go. I mean, When computers first came out, I was right on top of it. I mean, I had my first Tandy 1200 HD. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It actually had a hard drive of, ready for this, 10 megabytes.
0: Woo, slow down.
1: I know, right? And I actually, this is way, way back in the early 80s when it came out, and I bought one, and I was determined to learn how to, I did basic. I mean, I learned how to Mm. use that thing. Because I wanted to learn how to use that thing. And, of course, I had, you know, my website was up long before a lot of people even realize you're supposed to have a website.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I was actually designing websites for a while. You know, so, I mean, it's actually, matter of fact, a friend of mine owns a restaurant here locally, mm-hmm. Central Florida, and I designed his original first website. Which he's never, A, forgiven me or B, thanked me. <laughs> he's like, Man, that changed my life. I'm like, well, it wasn't that great a website, you yeah. know. But it was, at the time no one else was doing it. Right. You know, so I did web design just, just because it was interesting and I would do it for friends of mine. Now I'm yeah. just I can't be but now I pay a guy to, to do all my stuff.
0: <clears throat> so, you know, I've had the good fortune to uh, talk to some people interview some people up to this point who have worked with you.
1: Uh-oh, hold on. I said I wouldn't do this, but.
0: Oh, there it goes. Another one. There you go. <laughs> this is just a quick sponsor break to remind you to check out Messina Covers for great custom cases, Eastman Winds and S.E. Shires for exceptional quality from the professional model to the beginner model, and of course, Pickett Blackburn, providing you with a multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now back to today's guest. Um,
1: Anyways, okay.
0: Yeah, so you know, and and I'm, I'm I'm starting to hesitate. Wonder if I should mention names, but and whether or not they worked with you, people like Fred Powell, uh, Carl oh, Hammond. Fred, no, you know,
1: I'd love love both those guys.
0: And and I know of others along the way who they're like you know they've all made their way either through Shilky, or Selmer, or Warburton, or uh, Getzen. You know, it's like. It's like you could trace everybody back to one, one place.
1: Yeah, we have uh, our fam- family history. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, and you know, I mean, Carl and and Fred both uh, have become very successful uh, in their own right, which is, you know, I think that's that's terrific, and it shows. Um, I, I think both of them have that have that same kind of business sense. I don't know if they're that that type A. Uh, Manic, like you're describing yourself, Fred doesn't ever seem to be on the manic side of things. But
1: I was going to say, um, I, I don't think either one of them fit the uh, the Terry Warf <laughs> of manic. And a lot of people that know me really well would be like, hey, "Ain't a whole lot of people that manic, that's for sure." <laughs> I mean, I, I'm usually up. Be- I'm up between somewhere between three and five a.m. every day, oh seven gosh. days. And I mean, I go all day. Yeah, I'm up and I'm going. Yeah. I mean, late. the machines were in here running at 5.30 this morning.
2: Mm.
1: You know, just I'm just that way. I mean, I get up and I want to get stuff done. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't sit around and yeah, stare stare at my belly button. It's not really of interest to me. Not that my <laughs> belly button not that good looking. It's just that, you know, it just doesn't interest me that much.
0: Well, I'll put that in the show notes. I'll have make sure people want to ask you about that the next time they run into you. So.
1: I'm sure they will. <laughs> Yeah, Carl. Carl's an interesting case because he came to work for me out of college. I don't know if he told you all that. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. So he he worked there for you know with me, and then, sad to say, um, someone got elected, and I predicted the economy would crash, which of course it did. And I phoned Shilkey because I knew Joan, and I said, Joan, you need to hire this guy. He's from Chicago. He really liked to move back home, and I really, you know. I can't keep them. I can't. There's not enough business, but you should hire them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I must have phoned her eight times. And finally, she's like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll meet with the guy. Mm-hmm. So Carl, I got him his job at Shilkey's. I certainly helped him get his job at Shilkey's mm-hmm. where he was very successful before he went out on his own.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But when he first came to me, it was funny because he actually had a degree in marketing and the first thing I did was like, oh, that's great. So um, it was an intern for the summer. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, the one should design an ad. Here's what we want to do. He didn't even know where to start. And I was like, oh, boy. I said, Carl, how do you feel about sanding and buffing?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he goes, all right, I'll do that. And uh, somewhere I have a great picture. It's a picture of of me and my shop in this little tiny CNC lathe that we really it was a waste of money. But that's beside the point. And there's Carl sitting in the background. I actually, he trained him. He was making back at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a great picture. One of these days, I'm going to put together all my pictures and put the uh, put the book together that my wife keeps swearing I need to mm-hmm. to write.
0: Well, I'm I know people would be interested in seeing those pictures. You know, the, anything to to tie the the history of things together, I think. uh, Oh yeah. And
1: Fred, I met first met Fred, he was working with my friend, Roy Lawler here locally.
0: Oh, right.
1: So him and him and Roy worked together. And at the time I was making like some parts pieces for Roy for his trumpet. And, uh, I I think that's where I met Fred. I probably met him before at an ITG or something, you know, but that's when I first kind of really got to know Fred. Mm hmm. But uh, he's a great guy too, you know. I mean, he's a great player too.
0: Yeah, he is. I
1: think I think he he fights with himself whether he wants to be a a trumpet maker or a trumpet player.
0: Well, you know, I interviewed him last year, and uh, we met at like ten in the morning. He goes, you know, I didn't get in until three or two or three uh, this morning. He goes, and I still needed to practice, so you know, I put in an hour at you know two a.m. (laughs) If they can, that's dedication. Um, you know, that's how
1: you, that's how you get to be good.
0: But there he was in the shop, you know, ready to go the next morning. So,
1: yeah, Yeah. that's right. So that's that's the kind of attitude. Like people really don't understand the the amount of dedication, hard work and perseverance it takes to be successful at whatever it is. mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You cannot be a (laughs) trumpet player and decide that you really don't want to practice. That's not an option. You know, you can't be an athlete and decide you don't want to exercise. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things where a lot of people that go into business, they don't realize it's tough. And there's a whole bunch of other people. You know what I do every morning at when I'm up at like four o'clock and I'm out in my wood shop making my wood mutes or at my home mm-hmm. before I come over to the factory? <clears throat> every morning I get up and I think what's the other guy doing right now? Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: And that's what it is. And my son is a French horn player who thank God is finally moving home from Switzerland and Italy where he's been for the past few years Mm -hmm. studying French horn. And he's also studied, um, instrument making and runs computerized machinery in a small shop. And he's finally decided that, uh, Gee, Dad, there's a 12,000 square foot shop with my name on it in Florida. Maybe I should move home. (laughs) But you know, as he was learning, practicing the French horn over in in Switzerland, we talked about that one day, and he goes, "You know what, Dan? I get up every day. He's not like you. He goes, I mean, I'm up at seven, seven thirty, and by eight o'clock, eight o'clock, I am practicing and practicing. So by ten o'clock, when I go in for my lesson, I'm ready." He goes. Mm -hmm. All my roommates who are French horn players, too, he goes, they're still sleeping. I said, let me guess, you play better than all of them? And he goes, yeah, how about that? <laughs> you know, and, and we talked about it. It's like, that's what it takes. I said, because what's the other guy doing?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You, think,
1: you think you're think you working hard? How hard is the other guy working?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in a, and in a business that is, and we're all friendly with each other, I think, in the music business but oh, you're still, yeah, more you're still in a lot of businesses, but still extremely competitive. You know, we're all trying and I, I shouldn't say we, because I, I don't make anything other than, than this podcast at the moment, but you know, it. I see when you go to ITG, I see all the people in the industry hanging together and having great conversations. And yeah. that's great. And it's what a, what a great vibe and everybody I think supports each other, but, uh, at the same time, you're still hoping you sell more horns than the next guy. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, but don't agonize about it. You know, For yeah. example, um, Tony Rappacicuolo from Italy. I don't know if you, you know him.
0: I don't know that name.
1: Yeah, well, you will. Trust me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he started out, he was an air traffic controller, but he trumpet player and he wanted to make mouthpieces. I had him fly over here and stay at my house for three days and showed him everything. And he's become very successful over there in, in Italy, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy for that, mm-hmm. you know. And my other Italian friend Dario Frate. Frate oh sure,
0: Malibu. I know that name. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Dario came, stayed with us, and he's just like, you're, you're telling us everything. I'm like, sure, why not? I said, mm-hmm. you're the next generation. I said, I, I you know, I, I've made my mark in the world. I said, mm-hmm. I, I'd rather leave more than my name behind. So that you can say, you know what? Here's where I learned a lot of stuff, and my name pops up. I said to me, that's success. Mm-hmm. That I've become successful enough that I can help you become successful. Mm-hmm. And I think we're in that kind of an industry where, yeah, we're you know we're all competing for the same customers. Yeah, that's true. But as Bob Giardinelli once told me, this is a great line. He goes, here he goes. Never worry about it when your favorite trumpet player that's using your stuff suddenly uses someone else's stuff. he goes, just wait, he'll be back, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a great that's a great line well,
0: that's yeah, with the, the grass uh, uh, the other side of the fence right the grass is always greener, and then you get over there and you realize uh, hey, you know, what I had wasn't so bad
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so but yeah, but you know a lot of I, you're right, the industry actually has a lot of people that are You know, I I mean, I can honestly say there is very few people in the industry I don't like. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very, very short list. It's almost as short as that uh, list of great trumpet players that are nice guys.
0: (laughs) Now, wait a second.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a a short list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got, uh, well, Ronnie Rahm and I think Aaron Rahm, too. uh, Both are uh, Warburton artists. Yep. And yeah. that's a nice relationship they have. And I know uh, it extends uh, beyond that with other other artists. Um, so, you know, here I'm thinking, you're talking about Dario Frate uh, being the next generation. Um, you're 70. Are you looking uh, to, are, are you going to be making mouthpieces uh, the day of your funeral? I guess is what I'm getting at. Or...
1: <laughs> no, 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 the day before I'm going to stop.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: The day before the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? It's, it's great. I'm so lucky. I love what I do. I love machining things. I love making things. I love inventing things. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that they're appreciated by so many people around the world. I mean, mm-hmm. the Pete, the Pete, the embouchure trainer. Yeah. Right. I mean, Kenny, that works for me for 32 years, he invented that thing. I finalized the design, and we marketed that thing. We've sold well over 50,000 of those.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No kidding.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh yeah. And I'm about to do another run of another 1,000. We're actually out, even as we speak. I've got the material in, but I've just been – I was busy. Actually, right now we're running um, Demondre Thurman Euphonium mouthpieces Mm -hmm. for the Miraphone Corporation in uh, Germany. Mm Mm-hmm. They have us manufacture his line of mouthpiece for them to put in with their euphonium. But I'm so lucky that I, I've i had a life where, you know, the old expression, it's only work when you'd rather do something else. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't worked my whole life. Yeah. I've, I've just done what I like to do yeah. every day, which is why I get up early. And even now, my wife's like, honey, can you just slow down to like a 10-hour day? It's like, well, why would I do that?
0: <laughs> well, it's... Would you mind if I ask about uh, the cancer?
1: Oh, no, that's that's an open. Call. I was never I never hid that from anybody. That was a very, you know, it's like, oh, well, here's another bump in the road.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I think it was at the Miami ITG last year, 2019. Um, Did you had you just finished treatment or had you just gotten the news that you were cancer free?
1: Um, I, yeah, I think it was my two year, I just finished having my three year, um, uh, cancer free mm-hmm. meeting and the doctors say everything looks absolutely perfect. And like one of them laughs, he goes, your biggest complaint is, um, you're a little thin. He goes, this is America. Most people wouldn't have that complaint <laughs> He goes, if you're still working 12 hour days and going seven days a week, he goes, trust me, you've recovered. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh really? He goes, a lot of people, even, you know, three years out are not doing what you're doing. He said, and we remember we talk about they actually told me they talk about me at the Mayo Clinic Mm. because I worked every day of my treatment right till I went in and rang the bell and said, I'm done. Wow. And they were shocked. They said, there's no way you're going to do this. I'm like, well, we'll see. Mm -hmm. And that was like, you know, an hour and a half drive up in the morning, hour and a half drive back. And then I would work all day. And the doctor's like, well, do you take the weekends off? And I'm like, are you kidding? I have to work more to make up for all the hours I missed during the week. And they're like, don't you feel bad? Yeah, we're stage four, for God's sakes. And mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I feel a little rough, but yeah, not that rough. Mm. <laughs> not rough enough to stop me from working. You so, know, and I, I'm, I'm kind of glad I went through it because you know, I don't know if you know or not, but you know, Wayne Bergeron just finished his treatment.
0: Yeah. And I, he,
1: was call, he was calling me on a weekly basis to go, hey, what can I expect next?
0: Yeah. I'm talking to Wayne tomorrow. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um,
1: oh, tell him hi. He's a, he will. is a wonderful man. I've known him for many, many years. Don't ask him how we met, because that story shouldn't be on a podcast.
0: Well, there we go. So that's an automatic, uh, I'm going to ask that story. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting as, as I've talked to people the number of people who are cancer survivors or are still uh, in treatment. And, of course, uh, you know, Ryan Anthony, of course, was such a high profile. Um, yeah. And, and what courage, I think. And.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, the thing he faced was far worse than mine. I mean, mine was a walk in a park. I mean, I got to meet him. We talked about it. It's like my shit was a walk in a park. compared yeah. he to what he, he went through. You but, know?
0: but, you know, okay, so I'm a cancer survivor, too. I had kidney cancer, and uh, I didn't okay. have to. I didn't have to do chemo or radiation. I mean, I lost it to surgery. I lost a kidney to surgery. Right. And when I met Ryan at the 2018 ITG, uh, I think that was San Antonio. uh, I met him, talked to him at the booth a little bit. And, you know, I told him I was a cancer survivor, but he said, I said, but I didn't, I told him I didn't suffer the, the chemo and radiation. He goes, but you still survived. And, that blew me away because, you know, I didn't have to endure all that stuff, but I still felt like somebody understood and respected that it's still a loss and it's still.
1: No, for sure. No, it's um, no not people don't understand. It's, you know, I always tell me, I mean, I went from a lifetime of 185 pounds down to 139.
2: Good grief.
1: And I would say, well, I've been on a diet. I don't recommend the throat cancer diet, but it is very yeah. effective. That was, that, was, that was not a whole lot of fun. I mean, you know, the stomach tube and feeding out of a bag of mush. like Yeah. 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 It wasn't a whole lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Well, Terry, I'm awfully glad you're here on the other side of things.
1: You're glad. How do you think I feel?
0: Well, okay. But, you know, I think there are an awful lot of people I'm that so are glad. glad. Of course. Of course. And, uh, you know, what would you say? You just hit your three, three-year mark?
1: Yeah, they say five, and you're out the door. They don't want to bother you yeah, anymore.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. So uh, right
1: now, when every six months check checkup, and every six months you're like, hey, you're fine. Mm-hmm. And my weight is slowly coming back. I mean, I'm still down like 20 pounds, but mm-hmm. well, you know. Yeah.
0: So here's a here's a random question. You're talking about the peat, and I, this is also a huge left turn from talking about cancer. But uh, have you ever designed and developed a product? that was a complete bust
1: i'm thinking no wow no no i i can honestly say and it shocks me matter of fact a couple of years ago my wife told me she goes terry she goes would you please not invent anything new until we catch up on (laughs) everything that you've already invented i mean you know i talk about left field i mean i i invented a new neck for the saxophone Mm -hmm. And it's a success. Matter of fact, I'm working with the Con Somer company right now on, uh, on on a saxophone design with them.
0: Mm-hmm. So please tell me it's a solid neck. Uh, you can't put any air through it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Every trumpet player's dream. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so you know, it... sadly, sadly, I figured out how to make the saxophone actually sound like a musical instrument. Oh, sort of
0: wow. <laughs>
1: no small feet. No small no, feet.
0: No, no. Well, you should get a Nobel Prize for that, I think. So, or
1: some kind of prize. Yeah. You know? No, no bells. Yeah. No bells. Yeah.
0: Well, this has been a lot of fun uh, chatting with you and getting some background. And you know, I know people know a lot about you already, but uh, this might be some insight to things people didn't know about you yet.
1: Oh, I'm sure that, you know, I mean, we only touched on a few things. I mean, you know, everybody's like convinced I should, just, every time I think about it, I should like tell a short story, just record the thing because I keep remembering
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, all these different things that have happened over the years. I mean, I I literally walked out of high school and walked into a music store and then I opened my own business, short stint with Giardinelli, mm-hmm. back to my own business. As my wife says, you have the world's shortest resume. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. I, I've been, you know, pretty much self-employed my whole life. So, mm-hmm. well, is a, is a life lesson for sure. Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate you doing the podcast. Oh and, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we didn't upset too many people. I didn't, you know, get political or anything. So, I mean, I mean you know, I, I was hoping you'd have some sort of self bleeper. I mean, yeah, my. my my wife is like, Well, why don't you like tell some stories that said some off color? And she goes, Oh, for God's sakes, don't do that. I'll tell you what, I've been so blessed to know so many people. And it's not just here, I mean, it's around the world. I mean, this is a funny story that you can throw in if you want. I was mm-hmm. over in uh, Tokyo years ago, and we were staying at this real fancy hotel. And up in the top floor, they had a, a dance floor, and they had like a little five piece band, trumpet, saxophone. And uh, I'm up there listening, you know, having a, having a drink, and I told the bartender, I said, you know, can you buy the trumpet player a drink? Tell him it for me. So the trumpet player comes over, and I asked him, I said, do you speak any English? And he goes, oh yeah, a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's great. I said, you know, you sound really good, blah, blah, blah. And I handed him my business card, and he looks at it, he looks at me, and he starts bowing, yeah. I mean, like, like repeatedly. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's almost embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, oh, are you Mr. Warburton? I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, well, it must be your father's business. Are you too young? I'm like, oh, thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> and it was funny. And I said to him, I said, gee, I noticed you don't, you don't have a Warburton mouthpiece. Oh, they're so expensive in Japan. Can't afford a Warburton mouthpiece. I went, oh, it's too bad. Uh, but Three weeks later, I get an email from the guy. Yeah. Mr. Warburton, I now understand why you're so famous. I bought one of your mouthpieces. Mm.
2: <laughs>
1: well, I mean, I that was just like the best thing ever. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. For ex- exactly that kind of a thing. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, you know, now I'm thinking back to the, the Hershey ITG conference where you did a session. Where you had basically you had was it six, seven, or eight uh, people with Warburton trumpets, yeah, uh, just kind of give a little testimonial about why they chose uh, the trumpet, and um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, that was pretty effective. <laughs> it's like let's let's let the artist tell why. I mean, you could stand up there and give a marketing spiel, right?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, and I give a good one, but it's not nearly as effective as, you know, this, you're, here's the guys that are really using this stuff. It's say like, you don't need to listen to me. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, but Terry. That,
1: that's, when, that's when you can be proud of your product and sit back and let someone else brag on you.
0: Yeah, it is a good feeling. And and I can yeah. say, you know, I, I've enjoyed a little bit of that with this podcast. It's been, you know, been nice to get some feedback and people enjoying yeah. uh, enjoying it, so.
1: Well hopefully they'll enjoy this one.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. So, you know, I'm looking forward to the next time we can actually meet and and whether or not we shake hands or bump elbows, you know, whatever's whatever's <laughs> allowed.
1: Yeah, fist bump or I mean, you know, who knows yeah, yeah, who knows what it's gonna be and when it's gonna be and mm-hmm. where it's gonna be. I mean yeah. at this moment in time it's like is everything gonna be cancelled and mm-hmm. in the near future? It's like, my God, pretty tragic
0: actually. Yeah. Well, please stay healthy. You don't um, have to ask me. (laughs) And uh, warboating. I can't imagine uh, not seeing that promoted at some point in the near future.
1: (laughs) Uh, Actually, I'm quite sure it's going to be promoted just like that.
0: (laughs) So, all right, Terry. Thanks again. I appreciate the time today.
1: All right, my friend. All the best.
0: All right, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's where my interview with Terry Warburton finishes. But there is a little bit more to be heard. I excerpted one or more significant stories from this interview, and those are available exclusively for my Patreon patrons. You can find out more about how to receive that benefit and others at patreon.com studiohfl. Again, to those who are already patrons, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Another reminder to visit Apple Podcast and to leave both a star rating and a review, and to please visit the Studio HFL YouTube channel and subscribe. This has been a production of Powell Music. Yep, me, Chef, Sue Chef, and Dishwasher here at Studio HFL. The show is supported by the generosity of Messina Covers, Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, and Pickett Blackburn. Once again, I'm your host, Larry Powell, grateful that you spend some time here with me today. And I'm hoping that you'll come back next week to visit with another terrific guest. Have a great day, and see you next time.